From the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It is the Craig Needles Podcast here at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca, and wherever it is you get your podcast. The Craig Needles Podcast, of course, is powered by our friends at Downtown London and the Covent Garden Market. I want to talk about the London Police budget today. And I want to discuss it in terms of, hey, when we're putting this much cash into London police, and that seems to be what council's on board with right now, is that really what we need to do? And who better to talk about that with me than Dr. Leslie Bikos, who, of course, is a former London police officer. She is now an associate or an assistant professor, rather, at uh, King's University College uh, here in London and has been kind enough to join us on the podcast. Uh, Leslie, thank you so much for doing this. Glad to have a conversation with you today. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Hopefully I can live up to that hype. Yeah, well, I think you'll do just fine. That's my estimation. Uh, And the reason I wanted to have you on, well, there's a few, but you had a really good Twitter thread about this. And I want to talk about this, uh, that that in in just a little bit. But first, you have just expressed general concerns on a $672 million budget for London police. That is a lot of money over the course of four years. That is a huge amount. It's by far and away the most expensive thing that a municipality is going to fund. It's, it's, it's police service, which in and of itself doesn't necessarily bother me. I think that it's, it's, it's okay for that to be the most expensive thing. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of equipment. That's fine. However, when that most expensive title is becoming more and more of a runaway victory, I think it merits some examination from the public. So when you heard the budget ask and you sort of seen councillors say that they support this and it looks like there's going to be at least eight that do, what was your reaction to that? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think that's, you know, I have quite a few concerns and I think that I'll start with what you just mentioned there. So for me, a big part of the concern is that it really feels as though this police budget ask has been incredibly under-examined and seemingly unquestioned by the mayor and also the police services board. Um, you know, even just in the, the fact of setting those optics of endorsing it in full uh, without proper consultation and examination, um, for me, is incredibly socially and fiscally irresponsible, uh, along with those divisive narratives that we're seeing happening, um, uh, you know, with the police union, yeah. uh, the police chief endorsed, you know, the mayor. We'll, we'll talk like, about all those things. But yes, that definitely is on the list here. So that's one of the one of the concerns, sort of like that overarching thing of saying, OK, you know, wait a minute. The other piece, other pieces is that, you know, we know, for example, that policing is reactionary, right? It doesn't get to prevention and the roots of why harm occurs, and it harms those already marginalized by systems of oppression. And, and so asking ourselves those questions of actually who becomes, quote unquote, more safe um, by this budget is really, really important. And those questions are not being asked in a real way. Also, the the numbers uh, that the police have put forth as justification for this budget are missing really important context in the conversation. Um, So for example, when you look at the crime severity index uh, from Statistics Canada uh, in 2022, which is the same year and the same numbers that they're drawing from, uh, this idea, like the nuances around the fact that we're actually down uh, by 10% overall in those measurements for crime, we're down by 15% for violent crime, uh, 7% for nonviolent crime, and we are actually outperforming um, the Ontario averages in those things with the exception of violent crime, but we're just shy of that. So 
missing that important context is really important. I have an issue that it, it, there's been lacking uh, meaningful consultation uh, with those most impacted, right? So thinking about Indigenous folks, Black folks, racialized folks, 2SLGBTQIA plus folks, disabled folks, you folks unhoused, living in poverty, people with lived and living experience and their intersections, right? These are the folks most likely to be harmed, uh, killed, criminalized, impacted by this budget. And also, you know, council made and so did the police continue to say that they're making commitments to diversity, inclusion, and anti-oppression responses, anti-Black racism, truth and reconciliation, and not having meaningful consultation with these folks, uh, frankly, is is performative. And, and something like this, um, a budget that so drastically impacts um, these groups, um, it's just so important. Uh, and, and so that is a huge concern for me as well, that these folks weren't, weren't consulted. Um, you know, we also are seeing new research that's come out, including that included London, uh, an analysis on London's budget that increased police budgets don't consistently correlate with decreased crime, decreased crime. We're also in this budget seeing mass funding, um, of militarization, uh, which I know we will get to, mm -hmm. um, later in the thing. So for me, there's also this big question that we need to ask about what is actual wants uh, versus needs within this budget. Uh, and a blanket endorsement of that is, is super problematic. And so when we're seeing in our city that folks aren't having just access to basic necessities, and then many others are impacted by rising inflation, you know, 30% increase in rents over 2022, more people than ever accessing food banks because of uh, fruit, food precarity, um, underfunding, you know, chronic underfunding of community services and supports and drawing away uh, from you know, transit and libraries, the arts, all of these other things that are so important in a thriving, healthy city to pay for this budget, which is, by the way, for, so folks understand, 5% uh, of the 8.6% increase mm -hmm. um, for 2024 is actually going to the police budget. So, um, you know, I could say probably a million things more, but I think that those are some of the, the starting points that we can begin with. And we've already seen from the folks over at London Transit, from the library, uh, we'll talk about the police messaging surrounding this in a second, but this has essentially become the Hunger Games as far as who's going to get funding from where. And there's been, you know, public calling out of counselors. It just, it, it's not a situation you want to be in. I get that the, the city's in a tough spot here, but you don't want to be in a situation where they're kind of fighting over whatever percentage of the increase they're going to get. So you mentioned that there are some other spots where you might want to see the money. And I'll, and I'll be straight up with you, and, and maybe this is just my cold black heart. Uh, I don't really care about the arts funding portion. I, we, don't, we don't have to do that for me. However, what we do and should be doing is mental health caseworkers at the library in the downtown. We should be uh, looking at better situations for transit in the city of London. And the other thing that I keep coming back to, and I think that I want to see more leadership on this from the city and from other municipalities, is we've got to find something that replaces police for mental health calls. Because we hear that the, the police workload is, is too much and there, there, there's too many things going on for the number of officers London has to handle. I don't reject that at all. I think that might be the case. So taking mental health off their plate, to me, is the way to actually go forward here. So where can we get some leadership from the province and from 
from municipalities and even from, you know, police chiefs and, and police associations about this. Because I think they all would generally agree with me that, hey, we don't want police responding to mental health calls, but this budget is just going to have that be the case more often and more frequently in the future. Is that a fair assessment on my part, do you think? Well, listen, I think that that there's so many like I think, and this is this is great because you know we may have some differences on our stances right. on Craig, but this is such a great example of how this doesn't have to be a decisive conversation, right? We can collectively come together as a community and say, okay, you know what what is it what is it that our priorities are, and then work from there, right? In terms of what we want to say no to in this police budget, what folks maybe want to say yes to, and how we take the the money um, that people are willing to say, yeah, we don't need that, right? We don't need that right now, and reallocate it to these to these sources that you're talking about that actually get to prevention and the root causes. So, right, things like housing, you know, access to healthcare, transit, libraries, education, you know, community services and supports. But it's also like those are basic necessities and they're super, super important. But it's bigger than that when we're talking about long-term prevention, right? We gotta we gotta talk about how do we how do we provide a sense of opportunity and belonging? Uh, and you know, folks deserve dignity and de deserve to have um, a city that responds to their needs in a non-harm, oppression-based way, right? So mm -hmm. we need to figure out how do we do things like stopping criminalization of homelessness, of yep. mental illness, and substance use. And and we don't need to reinvent the wheel. This is what's part of is so frustrating. You know, if council had have reached out to folks like me, for example, or other folks in the city uh, who have been talking about this forever, like Alexandra Keene from Black Lives Matter, you know, Safe Space, Forgotten 519, Sarah Maid Shitty, Frances Elizabeth Moore, and many other community leaders and organizations, right? There's lots of folks that have this knowledge and wisdom, lots of folks trying to, you know, who have been talking about this uh, for years, including myself, but none of that was done. Right. But I'll give you some examples of, of places that, that this work is being done, because you're absolutely right. We can have this conversation without without trying to say that everything that the police have to say uh, is wrong. Yet their workload is incredibly high. The call times yep. for service are high. We, you know, we don't have to deny those things. We have um, complex uh, crisis level issues happening in the city. Uh, for sure, incidents um, are happening and we have to respond to that. We don't need to invalidate the fact that... Um, I think there know, should be 100% agreement on some response times for some calls are too high and London police officers overworked. I think there should be 100% agreement on that. How we fix those problems... I think there we can there may be some differentiation within the community, but everybody should agree on those two things. Well, I mean, I'm not going to tell people what they should agree, Fair you know, enough. but but yeah, we. I mean, I'm looking at those numbers, and I nothing in in what I'm saying here is meant to invalidate them. Right. But what I am saying, uh, and what I want the consistent message to be, is that continuing the path that we're on, which we have been doing for decades of you know just cycling funding funding endlessly into this system, is not the answer. It doesn't work. It harms people, and it doesn't get to those root causes. Right. So at the end of the day, uh, if we are doing things like I think it's really, really important for us to start uh, receiving more data from the police. So, for example, on those code three non-emergency calls that they're reporting up to four days to respond to. Why are, why are we not? Why is council not asking for a breakdown of what those calls are? Right. Because if we can better understand the kind of things that the police are responding to in a very detailed way, then we can figure out as a city uh, how we divert those calls from mm -hmm. the police. 
And then right there, you start, you know, reducing with their workload, you yep. reduce uh, people's contact with the police, you, you mitigate harm in that way. Um, and there's like, there's lots of things happening. So for example, um, in Toronto, Ottawa, Edmonton, you know, speaking of uh, mental health uh, calls uh, for service and, you know, including, uh, which can include uh, substance use, uh, which includes uh, housing and, and the sort of complex social issue calls that the police should not be dealing with to begin with. Um, they are all either piloting or have put in place non-police responses to these calls and right. they're wraparound support services and they are community led and it's working. The numbers you know, coming out of it are significant. The calls diverted away from the police are significant. And those folks have the option to call the police if they show up and decide they want to. But the percentage of the calls of the percent, sorry, the percentage of, of those a needing police response has been, you know, minimal. So we have that, like we have those kind of things, you know, Regent Park, for example, I don't know if saw the news in Toronto, right. An area that had a lot of gun violence, an investment of $2.5 million. That's it over five years uh, has resulted in them reporting zero shooting deaths in 2023. Um, you know, so there's, and there's all kinds of other things that we could talk about and that I'm happy to provide counsel as examples um, for how we could address uh, some of the calls, these complex social calls that police shouldn't be attending in the first place. And yeah. by doing that, you don't need to mass fund the police in the way that we are proposing. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is uh, I'm very interested in limiting the workload for London police officers. But the way that I'm interested in doing it is having them respond to less stuff as opposed to hiring a whole bunch more London police officers. Well, yes. And yeah. the thing is, too, is what one of the questions I have is, you know, we just less than a year ago just gave a, a bunch more money to hire 52 new officers, um, you know, and at that time was the same was the same issues that, that they're mm -hmm. saying that they need 97 more officers for now. You know, have we even hired those 52 officers yet? There's been no time. And if we have, which I don't think we have, but I don't have those numbers. But again, we don't have those numbers. Why is this data not being asked for? Um, you know, and at the end of the day, we haven't given any space or time to even see how those how those new hires will impact along with this idea of how do we start diverting more calls? Well, we start diverting more calls by the city prioritizing funding to community led supports. Um, you know, we already have started building that infrastructure with the whole of uh, health and homelessness system response. You know, there's that great story yesterday about Hope House with London Cares. Um, you know, there's lots of community grassroots organizations that do vital work, but they go chronically underfunded. And, you know, and in and, and, and this budget, um, the priority is the police, right? So they're again going underfunded. So we need to be funneling money over there um, and, and having these folks um, be responding to these kind of calls rather than the police. You put all these things together and we certainly um, we certainly can get to a better response that is... Yeah. I, that's better for everybody. Yeah, I think so too. And if you're upset that your taxes are going up by 8.8%, this should be the first thing you circle and say, hey, what, what's going on with this? Uh, well, I also think it's really, did you see the, the story in the London Free Press about uh, Councillor Frank? And I think this was really, I think this was really revealing about what's, what's happening. Um, so all that, all that the amendment was, was to reduce the LPS budget by $90,000 a year, which equals yeah. one of their vehicle asks. Right. And they, they want, she wanted that, I believe, for the mental health support worker at the downtown public library. 
Right. Yeah. And, and there was like a pushback on that, right? Was, the vote was six to nine. So just even, you know, asking questions around the fact of like, okay, so, you know, the argument is, no, 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 we can't take any, any money at all. We can't take any money for, from the police or the whole city's going to descend into chaos. Well, you know what? If your business case is so fragile that it can't handle a $90,000 a year cut to it, I'm going to question the validity of your business case. And it's not even that they couldn't handle a $90,000 a year cut. It's that right now, even asking about it just is is a brick wall. And that's that's the part that makes me suspicious is... Let's go through this and explain why we need it all. And I, I was going to get to the minute, this in a minute, but I'll get to it now. Uh, a, a big chunk of this is a forty-two million dollar brand new training facility. Mm-hmm. Is that do we need? If you want to hire a whole bunch of new officers right now, do we really need that right now? Like this is this is a lot of expenditures we're being asked for at the very same time. A million bucks for new tasers for every officer. We're looking at two point six million dollars for the body cameras, which. I don't necessarily hate the idea of body cameras. However, when you can turn them on and off at your leisure, well, they become less effective in my estimation. Uh, the, the, and the, the half million dollars for the new lab. So we'll, we'll talk about all those things. But first, the new training facility. I would love to get the chief on this podcast to explain why now is the time for the new training facility. Then the cost of that will be split with the fire department. That's fine. Or at the very least, the fire department's taking a, a, a chunk of it. I have asked the chief to appear on this podcast. I'm still hoping that happens and we just have to work out schedules. But $42 million for a training facility seems like a lot of money. And I haven't heard a good explanation as far as why now is the time that we have to go get this. I mean, here's the thing, too, is the $42 million is just for the first year. Yeah. It's not even the full cost for the training facility. Yeah, it's phase one. Yes. That's phase one. Um, You know, and so if you look at the budget, for example, you know, for the first year, there's at least $50 million there when you're talking about the training facility, the body cams, the tasers, the SUVs, the drones, uh, et cetera, um, that we could say, no, (laughs) you know, we're going to... uh, we're not going to fund that, right? This is this is a want versus a need, and we're not. Where is where is the the detailed justification for this? Where are the count the questions from council saying, you know, give us a detailed examination of why this is going to benefit the community, of you know how of how like you know. And the thing is, is that what we're really talking about there is increased militarization and weaponry. You know, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't how to what end. And again, right, thinking back to who that impacts and who that puts most at risk. Well, it's the most marginalized folks in our community. And I have a real issue with that. And we all should. Right. Um, And at the end of the day, you know, coming back to the state of our city um, and all of the things that we know uh, should be prioritized. uh, These kind of things that the police are asking for should not be prioritized. But listen, at the end of the day, I put the responsibility solely on council for this. The police are going to ask for what they're going to ask for, right? They're seeing, you know, and I think they're seeing an opportunity and and knowing that they have a mayor and a police services board that fully endorse this budget without doing their due diligence and has a council that's likely going to back it. So, you know, of course they're going to ask for it. Every institution would do that. They're going to say, hey, let's try to get whatever we can get. And so I want to shift the focus then to uh, the responsibility the social and fiscal responsibility of this mayor and of this council to say no, to say no and take that money and invest it where it belongs, which is in the community. That's where I want my money invested. Or cut property taxes. 
can do that too. Oh, uh, hey, listen, I'll pay the property taxes yeah. and I'm not volunteering that for everybody. I'm in a mm -hmm. position that I can pay more property taxes. I understand the privilege of that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe that's a whole other discussion, right? That That is important, you know, making folks that can afford it pay more. I'd be fine with that if it means that we yeah. are actually funding uh, things that help the health and wellness of our community and all our community members being equally uh, cared for and valued. Yeah. Now, I, that's again, this is a whole other podcast. That's why I hate property taxes and take into account your ability to pay, you know, income taxes and uh, sales taxes are better. Anyway, that's 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 neither here nor there. Uh, Not I, my area of expertise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and again, like I said, it's a whole other podcast. Uh, so this is what I wonder then is we are talking about this and the way that the police services board is framing this is that London is not as it currently stands a safe city. Do you think London's a safe city? I mean, I don't even like, I don't, I think. Or do, what does that even mean? I guess could be the question. Yeah, exactly. What does that even mean? Like perception of safety is one thing, you know, so if folk, folks feeling as though seeing uh, folks that are visibly unhoused or visibly uh, using drugs, if, if that to them means uh, being unsafe and, you know, like I'm not here to invalidate anybody's uh, perception. I do think there, you know, there's, on a side note is education around, you know, who we criminalize and, and all the socialization processes around that, because as a city, I think we just really need to challenge ourselves as well um, of who we care about, who we do not. Right. And, and I think that um, I, I don't want to invalidate, like none of this conversation is to invalidate that there are real issues happening in our city that need to be addressed. Right. That's not the point of, of yep. what I'm trying to say. I am acknowledging that, yeah, there there are issues and, and people's concerns are valid. But how we address those concerns are what I'm interested in. And for me, a 30 percent increase and the largest increase in the police budget at a time uh, where more and more conversations uh, and actions are happening across the country saying, no, this is not the way. Um, you know, mass funding for the police is not the way. And we have decades to know that this is not the way. Um, that's what I'm interested. In. That's the conversation I'm interested in having. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I'm interested in having the very same conversation because what we're doing right now, where the police handle everything and that's just the way it goes and there's no questioning of it and there's no examination. I don't think that's doing anyone any good, including London police officers. Well, and here's the thing, right? So like also like what is the actual quote unquote crime that that they're saying is making you know the city the you know the, london is no longer safe right mm -hmm. so it appears as though when we're talking about downtown for example that we're looking at increased theft we're looking at increased uh property uh damage amongst other things like we said a visible use uh use of drugs etc so, right, do those things need to, do those things need, first of all, like a lot of those things are reactionary by the police. Like no matter how many police officers you hire, they can't be in every place in the city all at once yes. to stop that property damage, to stop that theft, um, you know, to address drug use, which frankly, we shouldn't be criminalizing anyway. But at the end of the day, um, that's, that's the point, right? Is prevention, right? So many of those kinds of crimes can be needs-based, 
um, et cetera. So getting to prevention, getting to root causes, making sure folks have at minimum basic necessities, but even better, the chance to thrive and have healthy, happy lives. It, like you, it's so simple, right? That's, that's the thing. So that's where you got to ask yourself, you got to follow power. You got to follow, like yeah. ask yourselves questions around who benefits from this and why, um, because it's just common sense, right? If you meet folks needs, uh, then, then they don't have to steal, right? It's simple. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. There, I, I agree with that. Now, now to a point, uh, like there, there are some people who are going to steal just because they want to, and they have their needs covered, but you're going to see the numbers of course go way down. And I get why people who live in London are frustrated when they have their house broken into as an example, or their car stolen and they don't get a call back from the police for a couple of days. Completely. Yeah. Great. I don't want to validate that yep. either. Right. Yep. Police, People should be able to have an officer attend yeah. their their home business, whatever, before four days. Sure. I understand. Couldn't agree more. Uh, however, the way to the, the, our path there is the police officer is not doing a mental health call and taking someone to the hospital. The police officer is not dealing with someone who's had an overdose. The, the, the police officer is not doing those things so they can focus on the house being broken into or the car stolen. That, that, that to me is, 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 is the way forward here. Um, well, absolutely. Yeah. And there's another whole conversation around what do we need armed police officers going to and what we do not. Yeah. So not even just like this aspect of, you know, community led uh, resourcing, which is vital, but even in some of the different calls, you know, so for example, a cold break and enter where the person isn't there any longer, you know, you know, there is a conversation to be had, you know, some traffic calming measures, for example, there is a conversation to be had that we don't need police constables that are armed with guns attending those calls, right? Yep. We could we could think of, and, and, and indeed there are models that, you know, you have special, you know, specialized employees attend those instead and, and do that work. Um, so those are other options of clearing up, you know, uniform patrol officers to attend different calls for service that are more in line with their mandate, uh, you know, for folks who want to continue with that system. The London Police Association, an association that at one point in your life you were a member of, uh, they have come out with a statement where they applauded the mayor and, and the, the members of council, so Susan Stevenson and, and Steve Lehman, who are on the police services board, for not, uh, I guess, listening to uh, the defund the police zealots. Now, I thought that language was unnecessarily divisive. Even people who are supportive of the police budget ask found that language to be unnecessarily divisive. Uh, I suspect you were not pleased with it either. When you saw that statement, what did you think of it? Uh, You know, I think it's a distraction. Uh, At the end of the day, um, sure. Sure. You know, uh, whatever, whatever it is that you need to say right. at the end, you know, at the end of the day, it just it, it seems in line with me uh, or in line to me of what I'm seeing happening with this, like, sort of very well coordinated response uh, by the mayor, by the police services board, uh, by some city councillors, by the chief to really like make Londoners think that uh, this is vital, that the city's unsafe, that this is the only way forward to say no to this budget means you are saying yes to, you know, crime and safety. Um, and, and it's just this, the, the divisiveness that distracts, right? And, and we don't need that distraction. You know, I think that there are ways that we can come together, even if we don't all agree what that looks like. There's common ground here, I think, that folks- I agree. 
get on board with. And, 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 and I think part of the thing is, is that, is that the police across the country know that too. The narrative is changing. More and more folks are starting to say, wait a minute, right? And have those questions and pushing back. And like any big institution that has authority and power, it gets scared when that happens. And so it is, um, you know, and they've, they've given it a good shot, right? Mm-hmm. Of trying to uh, be really effective in dividing and, and letting and making folks think that there's, that it's a done deal. Don't bother pushing back. It's a done deal. And I have a real issue with that. We get to decide how we spend our money and we direct counsel on how to do that. So I really encourage people who have concerns, no matter what those concerns are, no matter how you see uh, what we should be going forward with, et cetera, to contact the mayor and contact your counselor immediately as soon as possible. And you mentioned that there's common ground, and I really agree with that. I think that if you sat down and had a quote-unquote defund the police zealot, which I, I don't necessarily like the term defund the police because I think that, that that leads to confusion about what we're actually talking about. I, I, but either way, if you, a defund the police zealot and the most hardcore pro-police person you can find, in a lot of cases there will be common ground as far as what things they would want to see change in the community, maybe not necessarily how we change them, but there would be some common ground there. I just think there needs to be an actual conversation that occurs. And that means, like you said, the people with the very powerful institution uh, who might be afraid of change have to sit down and, and have a little, do a little bit of listening when it comes to what that change might be. Listen, defund the police isn't a dirty word. You know, yeah. it's about reallocation of funding right. to to away from the police to community uh, supports and services that can actually get to the root causes and prevention in a way that supports people's humanity and doesn't cause extra harm and layers of oppression and marginalization. I mean, and that's part of the issue, right, is the rhetoric um, by the police around the defund the police movement. But, you know, that's like you said, probably a whole other podcast. Yes. um, that education piece for people uh, is so important. But at the end of the day, um, yeah, I think there's common ground to be had. Uh, and I think that that we lose power uh, when we allow ourselves to be divided. Yeah. And I, I, to be clear, understand that defund the police doesn't mean, oh, we're having zero police officers and, and no. you know, it's an anarchy. I know that. I think that the language surrounding that has been hijacked by bad actors. So that's why the term gets a little bit sticky for me. But that's, that's again, like you said, a whole other podcast. So I, I know that some people would say, well, counselors are afraid that if they say no to anything, because they have to either reject the entire police budget or they have to potentially roll the dice with going to the Ontario Civilian Police College uh, and look at an appeal potential there. Uh, I think there is a middle ground, which is go back to the police and say, hey, can you take out this, this or this for me? Uh, Do you think they should be worried about an OCPC conversation? Do you think that's something that could blow up in the face of the city of London? Uh, Do you think that's a game of chicken that the the chief mayor may not want to play? Where do you stand on the appeal aspect of, of police budgeting for municipalities in Ontario, the way the laws are set up right now? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that's a, you know, a larger question in the sense of the Police Services Act and needing to get to uh, the legislation piece around that. And that's, you know, that's going to a provincial level, but that, that work needs to be done because, you know, for this very reason, right? Um, because it creates a problem for council and communities to be able to push back on their police budgets. But listen, uh, other people are. So in Toronto, for example, Olivia Chow uh, declined the extra $20 million increase. 
um, and instead opted for 7.4. And, you know, by the way, the Toronto police get $1.2 billion a year right now. Uh, and it was the same narrative that the sky was falling if they didn't get their $20 million. Hamilton just sent back their budget. Uh, and that's only a 200, not only, but it's a $213 million budget. They sent it back to the police and said, uh, no, uh, you need to look for more cuts. And, you know, their police budget makes up 16% of their overall budget. Ours is currently at 18%, by far and away the largest uh, piece of our overall city budget for folks that don't know. What I will say about the OCPC and the worries about that is I don't think we should ever be afraid to speak to power and, 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 and not speak to power because you know, we are worrying, oh, well, this might happen, this might happen. Let them. Let the police come. Yeah. Because then they can answer to the community as to why, first of all, they're not listening to the community. And second of all, why they think that their budget is more important than the needs and wants of uh, folks in this city, particularly the most marginalized folks that they're saying that they care about and want to be helping. So let them come. I look at it and think to myself, we, we, we've got a lack of justification on, on, on several of these budget items. At the very least, if you're sending them to Ontario Civilian Police Commission, they're going to have to publicly justify it. And look, I'm not saying we'll never get the public before that, Craig. Yeah. This council should be making them justify. Oh, I, oh, I completely that. agree. But and I mean, you'll have to really do it when you get there because it's part of the appeal yeah. process. Fair, but I think my main message to council is like, no, um, that excuse for not pushing back um, is a weak one. That's a no for me. Yeah, fair you enough. still got to do the work. And, and like I said, I I have been uh, trying to get the, the the chief of police on this podcast to talk about this. I, I think it'll happen. He's had a busy week, obviously, with all the, the Hockey Canada stuff. So I'm, I'm hoping it'll happen soon because I, I do w- would like to put some of these questions to uh, to Chief Trong as well. Leslie, before we wrap up our conversation, is there anything else that you want to talk about or make sure that, that people listening to us uh, know about what's going on with uh, the police funding and that conversation here in the city of London? Um, no, I think the, the main thing is, is that, you know, again, right, coming back to that place of that this doesn't have to be a divisive conversation, that I think as a community, we can figure this out together. And in fact, it's imperative that we do so. We need to make sure that we're checking in with folks most impacted uh, before these decisions are made. Like they should not be made for, right, folks, they should be made with. Um, that I'm not uh, invalidating the very real concerns of the things that are happening in our city, uh, that I accept um, some of the data the police are putting forth, and that this conversation can even happen without vilifying the police, right? They have been tasked for decades, um, more and more downloading of of the responsibilities of what should be uh, better served by community-led supports and services. And so this is what happens, right? Um, Because they've been the ones tasked with responding to these calls for service. So as a city, right, as citizens and also as a council, we have a responsibility to a, pull back from that response. But at the same time, I want to make it really clear that we can't just pull back that money, but then expect the police to continue on with the same you know, responsible responsibilities that they have now. It has to simultaneously happen that we pull back from that while also significantly funding community-led supports, 
resources and services to ensure right that those processes are happening at the same time. And then we slowly and methodically build the infrastructure that we need to divert more and more calls away from the police because the police should not even be dealing with these in the first place over to um, community-based supports and community-led responses uh, that actually get to those roots to prevention uh, and honor the humanity of everyone. We will uh, leave it there. Leslie, always good to chat with you. Thank you so much for doing this. Same. Thanks, Craig. That's Dr. Leslie Bikos joining us here on the Craig Needles podcast, which of course can be found at classicrock981.com, londonnewstoday.ca, and wherever you get your podcast. The Craig Needles podcast is powered by downtown London and the Covent Garden Market. The Craig Needles podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. 